I'm Alex Marlowe, Editor-in-Chief of Breitbart News, and this is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. On today's show, we spend most of the monologue breaking down the Democrats' January the 6th propaganda hearing from last night. I don't have a lot of news to share about it since there was very little news that was broken, but I do think you'll find my analysis both surprising and perhaps inspirational. That's because the Democrats revealed their 2024, not 2022, 2024 playbook. There was nothing there that could land Trump in jail, but there was a lot of out-of-context guilt by associationing of people who are loyal to the former president. And all this would have been barred from a normal courtroom. And the literal stakes are really quite low, but they still think Americans are going to be interested in this, not just from last night and through the weekend, but well into next week with more hearings to come. Uh, Good luck there, but I do think there are some really important things to see what's going on in the brains of those who will do anything they can to make sure Donald Trump is never president again. Our guest today is Congresswoman Elise Stefanik, who reacts to the hearings and then reminds us all the real problems facing Biden's America, and then offers up what she believes will be the fight back playbook, assuming Republicans take the Congress in November. One thing we didn't dig into too much that is arguably bigger news, in fact, it certainly is bigger news, is the record-setting inflation numbers that are even worse than expected. That broke toward the very end of the live broadcast on Sirius XM Patriot, which I will remind you, three hours a day, 6 a.m. Eastern Time on 125, the Patriot Channel, and on the SXM app. And for all those details, as always, I encourage you to go to the front page of Breitbart.com for all the news, analysis, and fight-back content that you need. Let's get into it. start today with something that maybe some of you will be surprised I want to talk about. I do want to talk about it. And that's the January the 6th committee hearing yesterday. The Democrats made a a effort to wag the dog. They came out yesterday and they put together a Hollywood-esque presentation about events that happened a year and a half ago in trying to accomplish something. I'll get into what I think that was. And distract America from the things that are happening that are bad under Joe Biden. Joe Biden's president. Joe Biden has no idea what he's doing. The Democrats control both houses of Congress. They have accomplished nearly nothing. They can't pass even the most basic elements of Joe Biden's agenda, despite the fact that they have majorities in both houses of Congress. And uh, the latest thing that they're getting busted on is that uh, Chuck Schumer basically incited violence and perhaps an assassination attempt against a Supreme Court justice. And they got to deal with that, among other issues, from foreign and domestic gas prices at a record high for 12th consecutive day, baby formula crisis, open border, et cetera, et cetera. So Democrats have to change the subject. And what do they try to change the subject to is one of their favorite issues, how bad Trump is. And how can they do that? Well, they did it with a hearing over what happened in January the 6th, and it starred a lot of people who don't like Trump, but they tried to make it seem as though this is a reasonable, moderate Americans. And those reasonable, moderate Americans are the only ones who uh, should be taken seriously on this topic because they're the uh, nonpartisan ones. So uh, I'm not sure how many of you watched, and I'm also curious for you to opine on that, if you did or did not, or had strong opinions one way or the other. It was interesting because I've got a full house right now. I've got family in from out of town, um, and 
Mrs. Dr. Marlowe had a person or two at the house yesterday, and uh, no one was interested. But I was interested because I was interested to see what the Democrats had. I thought either it would be a train wreck or it would be something that maybe they would come up with something that was significant. And for me, what was significant was the fact that they revealed their 2024 election strategy. It was very clear. So I'll tell you what I mean by that. What I mean by that is the purpose of the hearing that we saw yesterday was a uh, was to attack Donald Trump and only Donald Trump. What they started to do is they started to, from the very start, trot out people who were associated with Donald Trump and reveal that they doubted jo- Donald Trump's narrative that the election was stolen and that they needed to have a, a some sort of a insurrection in order to try to take back the country. These are a lot of out-of-context clips, uh, and they use a lot of people who I'm sure generally agree with Trump on stuff, uh, saying that they did not agree with his position, that the election needed to be contested, and that the electors needed to be contested on January the 6th, and that the demonstrations that turned into rioting were justified on that day. And whether or not if you pin those people down live and ask them what was going on, they wouldn't have a reasonable explanation. That's not the point. The point was that this was scripted. It was organized. It was directed. And it was directed by a guy who is a programmer for ABC News. So they put someone in charge to make a Hollywood-esque production. And a lot of the people in my house, when I was saying that I'm really interested in this, I think this is important, were saying, well, why are you letting the left set the narrative? Well, I'll tell you what they're doing. They're revealing their 2024 strategy, and it's an Alinsky strategy. You pick a target, freeze it, and personalize it. And that's what they did with Donald Trump. All of the people in Trump world were seen as more credible, more reasonable, more honest than Trump. The way they cut the footage made it seem as though people like Jason Miller, uh, Mike Pence, Ivanka Trump, uh, people who are associated with Trump himself and have been supporters of Trump uh, were acknowledging that, yeah, this election was over and uh, Trump didn't, didn't do a good job getting out of the way for whatever reason. Bill Barr in particular, first guy out of the gate, a guy who had backed Trump on a lot of issues and then had just cleared out when it came to the uh, election integrity issues. And then what they would do is they would intersperse clips of January the 6th that they would announce are new clips. Oh, this is brand new, brand spanking new. No one's ever seen this before. Never before seen footage. But the problem is it, was, it seems like exactly the same footage that all of you have seen a million times. Anyone who has not been under a rock for the last year and a half. So even though it was incredibly redundant, arguably regressive going backwards and certainly repetitive, the whole point was to try to create this veneer of here's something new. There's nothing new in there. There's nothing new. The only thing new was it was revealed what the Democrats are going to do in 2024. And here's what's going to happen. They put out that Donald Trump was even worse than any of us thought. That will make people on the right react to it in a defensive manner. And then we will think that, hey, actually, Trump's a victim here. He's being attacked unfairly out-of-context clips from the establishment media, from the political establishment in Washington, from the pro-Biden forces who are trying to wag the dog from all of our horrible crises we're going through. I like Trump more, but they're fine with that because they want to talk about Trump in 2024. That's their goal. The goal is let's skip 2022. This is not about 2022. It's not about the midterms at all. 
It's about their 2024 strategy, which is you freeze Trump, you personalize it. And if Trump gets the nomination, which is more likely today than it was yesterday, because I think a lot of people watching were thinking uh, Trump's a victim here of a massive political witch hunt. What Chuck Todd described as um, the third impeachment, which I thought was kind of a good take. He's got a good one every once in a while, Chuck Todd, I have to admit. He's a Trump drove him crazy, but he has a good one every so often. The third impeachment, that's what it sounded like. So it's more likely Trump's going to get nominated, and it's also more likely that you're going to see the focus of the campaign not become the record gas prices, not become uncontrollable inflation, not become our open border, not become how divided we are, not become the fact that coronavirus is still with us, not become our disastrous foreign policy, dependence on China, all that stuff that should be front and center. They're going to make it all about Trump. It's going to be Trump talk 24-7 and about whether a guy who was is uncontrollable on Twitter, whether or not a guy who told the Proud Boys to stand by and stand back, whatever it was, should be allowed back in the White House. So what they tried to do is they actually elevated a lot of his allies. Allies sounded reasonable. Even John Eastman, and this is one of the key moments, who is a law professor who has seen until this point, basically, as the architect of the uh, overturn the election strategy. A guy who I met on one occasion seemed pretty reasonable and smart. Um, and it was kind of framed by the media until this point as the guy who was the architect on the strategy. Uh, they said at the very top that he didn't even believe the strategy he was trying to execute. He was mostly doing the bidding of Donald Trump. So that's it. And so a lot of people are going to hear today in conservative media are going to be overly dismissive of this. They're going to act like there's no point to it. They're going to act like, huh, look at that, trying to distract us from all this stuff, which is true. But don't forget that something really important happened yesterday, which is the 2024 strategy for the Democrats got revealed. And it is not the worst I've ever seen. Because they have to come up with something. They have to come up with something to talk about because they can't talk about the economy. They can't talk about the open border. They can't talk about Joe Biden's successes because he has none. He couldn't even pass his signature agenda item, Build Back Better. So what do they run on? This is what they run on. They run on Donald Trump is a bad, 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 bad guy. And the people around him were so weak, they couldn't stop him from being as bad as he is. How do we know? Because we have a bunch of out-of-context clips that have been pieced together by the establishment led by an ABC News executive who understands Hollywood production quality. And look at all this never-before-seen footage of rioting, which, of course, the rioting pales in comparison to Black Lives Matter and the Summer of Love 2020. But they don't care. They're not looking for that because they do want us to talk about it, and they don't want us to talk about all the other stuff that we will spend the vast majority of our time talking about between now and then. But that became very compelling to me over the course of the day, um, that that was uh, clearly the objective. Now, did anyone tune in and does anyone care? I don't know the answer to that, and the answer is probably no. And if you tuned in from the top, you probably were bored within the first five minutes. I was laughing along uh, at the very early stages of the hearing because it was so sensationally boring, almost beyond belief. So if you did watch and you made it more than 10 minutes, you turn off after 10 minutes, I want to hear from you because I'm sure some of you in the audience were going, wow, I tried. I wanted to see what this was all about. 
and I couldn't do it. Um, because it was a, it, it was people who were sanctimonious, propagandistic, and dependent on things like teleprompters, reading scripted speeches that were in, in trying their best to try to create some sort of drama, but weren't necessarily able to do so. Let's hear from Benny Thompson, who is a guy who was the chair of the committee and is also someone who in the past has been open-minded to rioting so long as it's for his political purposes. Let's play cut two, please. The Constitution doesn't protect just Democrats or just Republicans. It protects all of us, we the people. And this scheme was an attempt to undermine the will of the people. So tonight and over the next few weeks, we're going to remind you of the reality of what happened that day. But our work must do much more than just look backwards. Because of our democracy remains in danger, the conspiracy to thwart the will of the people is not over. There are those in this audience who thirst for power, but have no love or respect for what makes America great, devotion to the Constitution, allegiance to the rule of law, a shared journey to build a more perfect union. Yeah, how many of you were reaching for the dial during that? Probably a handful. And why were a handful of you reaching for the dial? Because it's incredibly boring. And actually somehow got even more boring as the day went on. Uh, I want to play a clip of the first live witness. And a lot of this was on tape. The most compelling moments were on tape, pieced together in an editing room by a, a, a production executive from ABC. But uh, here is Officer Caroline Edwards, who testified about what happened to her while she was there on January the 6th. Let's hear some of this, see if you can stick with it. 14. Officer Edwards, I'd like to start by asking if you could tell us why you believe it's important for you to share your story this evening with the committee and the American public. Please, uh, your microphone. Um, well, thank you, Mr. Chairman. I, I really appreciate it. And thank you to the committee for having me here to testify. Um, I was called a lot of things on January 6, 2021 and the days thereafter. I was called Nancy Pelosi's dog, called incompetent, called a hero and a villain. I was called a traitor to my country, my oath and my constitution. In actuality, I was none of those things. I was an American, standing face to face with other Americans, asking myself how many times, many, many times, how we had gotten here. I had been called names before, but never had my patriotism or duty been called into question. I, who got up every day, no matter how early the hour or how late I got in the night before, to put on my uniform and to protect America's symbol of democracy. Okay, pause. Are you guys awake? Hang on I, to the wheel. I, who spent countless hours. If you're in the car, hang on to the wheel. I know it's boring. Hang tough. This is not for this audience, the audience, the Breitbart audience. You guys are never going to buy into this. But what this is going to be about is those moderate voters. It's going to be about those people who are perhaps 
open-minded to whatever is being sold to you by the political establishment on behalf of Joe Biden, the Democrats, and perhaps even Donald Trump himself, who watched people who were in his inner circle say that he was wrong about how to handle January the 6th and election challenges, and to try to drive some sort of a wedge. And it's not about getting ratings. It's not about 2022. This is about 2024 and giving something for the media to talk about and giving some sort of a narrative to shift the focus away from all the problems that are happening in our country. And that's what I'm warning all everyone about. Not that you need to watch because there's going to be a few more nights of this stuff. Not that there's anything particular for this audience that all of you need to be cautious about or there's any big breaking news. There was none of those things. But what there was was a revelation in that this is how 2024 is going to go down, assuming Trump runs and gets nominated. It's going to be January the 6th, round the clock. The election will not be about 2024. It will be about 2020, or as Joe Biden says, 2020. And they can run this strategy regardless of which Democrat is running. Chris Wallace called it horrifying. Jake Tapper was fired up about it. Bob Woodward was saying what happened tonight was historic. Uh, the people at MSNBC were uh, frothing at the mouth. They were so excited. I made sure to watch all their reactions. That's the point. Give them something to do other than try to play defense on all the horrible things that have happened in Joe Biden's America since Joe Biden's been in charge. So that's it. That's the point of these things. And there's going to be three more of them during primetime. And the theater was pretty good. You, I got to give this, this guy from ABC who was in charge. I'll mention his name in a second. I don't have it in front of me. Who they hired to piece it together. It was dishonest. It was taking people out of context. Um, it was pretty boring. I got to admit, pretty much a snooze fest. But I see the strategy, and the strategy is not bad. Isolate Trump, Alinsky eyes it, make it seem like Trump was the craziest person and surrounded by people who were just too weak to stand up to him and make that the focus for 2020. The only other people who were really truly villainized were people who they could frame as extremists and white nationalists like the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers, make it seem like there's more coordination between them, even though that was a very circumstantial, not persuasive. But that was the goal, was to try to frame it as more organized than it was. And I don't accept any of that. I don't accept the, their premise in the slightest, that this was some sort of, that, that these individuals were actually coordinating amongst themselves. Um, or that they're sort of white nationalist racist stuff, and that's their motivation, but that's what they tried to do. But they did try to be the adults. That was the presentation. Is we're the adults. Trump is not. And if you want to talk about 2020 election integrity for the rest of your life, you can support Trump. And if not, we can all move on with our lives. And that's it. That's the point. And that's what I'm here to warn you about today because a lot of people, I think, in conservative media would have bothered to check it out, see what was going on. And they will, they will admit that. I will say that. Not to throw down my colleagues before they've had a chance to weigh in. But I do believe that will be the standard if you're uh, following conservative media most of the day. All right. A few other things I will bring up. It was not a day where the needle moved a lot on a lot of other issues. Even the uh, Brett Kavanaugh, um, even Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, which was is stunning to me because a lot of people were reminding me of how, you know, Sarah Palin put out a map 10 years or so ago with uh, a crosshairs hash marks on some congressional districts that she wanted congressional people voted out. 
And then there's a shooting, which where Gabby Giffords, who was a congresswoman, got shot. And she was one of the people that had crosshairs, uh, hash marks over her. And Sarah Palin was blamed for the shooting. There's still no evidence this day the person who shot uh, Gabby Giffords was even aware of these hash marks. And now we've got a guy who shows up and was intentionally trying to assassinate Brett Kavanaugh. And we have all these clips of, you know, Chuck Schumer and others suggesting that the whirlwind's going to come down if Kavanaugh votes a certain way on abortion or guns, etc. And then a guy shows up and tries to kill him and maybe his family, apparently. And we just all moved on 24 hours. It's pretty amazing. And it just shows you how the Democrat media complex operates. This is the stunning thing that it takes place in our country is how the left is so good at weaponizing everything and the right is so poor at it. Literally, a guy showed up inspired by the hysterical media to assassinate a Supreme Court justice. And we all moved on in 24, 36 hours. Moved on to other stuff. And there's a reason why we moved on, a number of reasons. First of all, you know, the people who don't like Trump were distracted by the January the 6th stuff. Timing is unbelievable. And a lot of you guys out there who are trying to talk about normal stuff Notice that now the average price to fill up a gas tank is 95 bucks. With no end in sight, it will never stop. There's no evidence that we have seen the end of the inflation. Gas prices up over 60 cents in the last month. Of course, a 12th consecutive record day. Americans are now driving less because of rising gas prices. Senator Kennedy, who's a favorite for all of you online, suggesting that Biden's inflation has destroyed the American dream. And the Biden administration has given up on this issue. CFOs, according to a CNBC survey, is saying a recession is inevitable. As I noted earlier in the broadcast, half the country thinks we're already there. National gas is over $5, according to GasBuddy, which is an app. I don't think those are the official numbers. I, think we're, I don't think we're quite there, but you know we're a penny or two away. So now we're seeing shrinkflation, as I think I mentioned on yesterday's show, where they reduce the, the sizes of common items in order to and charge the same, which is a clever way for companies to buy themselves some time for the inflation as they gradually raise rates. This is just every day I got to bring you something horrible in, in this department. And so the media is desperate for anything to talk about, anything. And so they do the only thing they really can talk about, try to talk about January the 6th. Uh, some fascinating ones on the business side. There's a very public ousting of a person at Disney, a guy named Peter Rice, the most senior television content executive at Disney, who was abruptly and unexpectedly fired on uh, Wednesday of this week. And Rice was the chairman of Disney General Entertainment Content, and this includes not just the Disney Channel, but also ABC, Disney Plus, Hulu, and FX. And he was totally unaware by the firing of Bob Chepek. Um, and one thing that's interesting with this individual is a, a couple things. Well, first of all, um, he was out there suggesting that perhaps the anti-grooming uh, laws in Florida were not as unreasonable as some of the people Disney thought it was. Maybe he thought they were uh, dealing with some things that were um, uh, were not in the scope of what Disney's core business is. So he suggested that perhaps, this is according to the rumor mill, who knows, 
but he thought that perhaps they were spending their time on the wrong stuff when Disney was going way out of their way to fight against the quote-unquote don't say gay, which is really an anti-grooming bill in Florida. They were polarizing their company. Bob Chepik, who is in his 60s, cis-hetero white male who has no record of standing up for trans issues, all of a sudden decided he was going to turn over one of the biggest brands in the world, maybe the biggest entertainment brand ever, Disney, to some sort of a trans indoctrination agenda. LGBTQIA2S plus ampersand pregnant man emoji. So this guy, Peter Rice, didn't like it. It's a um, one person who commented on this anonymously to Deadline, which is one of the uh, top entertainment websites, said Peter Rice, one of the best executives in town. I can't imagine why Chepik would do this other than feeling threatened by all the rumor of Peter and Kareem. I don't know who Kareem is being people who could take his job. So Chepik obviously doing a terrible job. Disney's brand is in the toilet. So maybe this is the CEO uh, cutting out a guy who has a narrative that could get him to ascend Chepik to the top of the company. Um, that is an interesting thing because a lot of you had hoped that maybe Disney would get back on the right track. Good luck to you. Because it's not there. It's not there. It is noteworthy that uh, it's now gone mainstream. One of our most popular stories yesterday was how uh, the outrage has taken over that the uh, PGA versus this, the Saudi Golf League that started up. Recall, PGA of America has a 20-year deal with China. They're four years into it. And they also canceled all of Trump's tournaments. So they had an annual tournament at um, Trump Doral, and they were supposed to have the PGA Championship at Trump Bedminster this year. And just note that whenever you're hearing people from the Golf Channel, which is run by NBC News, complain to you about uh, atrocities by the Saudi government. Just note that they stood by idly, silent, while China and the PGA were cutting a 20-year deal together in when the PGA canceled all Trump's tournaments. They act like that never happened. And now they want to act like the players need to do something other than look out for themselves and try to get a bunch of money. And so the debate is raging now online. It's gone mainstream, even people who don't watch golf, which is fun for me because I watch golf and I find the debate super compelling because I don't like the Saudis and I don't like sports washing and trying to whitewash uh, human rights atrocities because a regime can send a bunch of money to athletes. Uh, But China has been doing that forever. And to act like it's acceptable for China and not acceptable for Saudi Arabia to do it is too much for me. It's just too much. And you'll hear intelligent commentary on this without including those key factors that PGA is in the middle of a 20-year deal with China, has done tournaments with Saudi Arabia, and not to mention the cancellation of Trump and the hatred of Trump, even though so many of their players and fans are big Trump fans. So uh, this has gone big and is now mainstream, and there's no winners here. There's no other than the players going to make a bunch of money. Those guys are winners. And maybe the Saudi government. Maybe those are the two winners. Uh, but other than that, I mean, just watching uh, people who get checks cut to them by NBC News every month to start telling us uh, w- what is, who can give you a check and who can't is just too much. It's just too much. And it does make you kind of root against the PGA. And a lot of people in my life and a lot of people in the Breitbart comment section have all had the same takes. Like, didn't PGA cancel Trump? Yes, they did. They did cancel Trump. So didn't they know they were going to have a reckoning? I wish the reckoning came from somewhere else. I wish it didn't come from the Saudi government. But long overdue for reckoning for the PGA, and now it's here. Uh, is a taking a, a company that is 
made up of people and supported by people who are largely Trump supporting uh, middle class and upper class Republicans to cancel Trump. And then they had, you know, a year and a half before they finally had a reckoning. I mean, that's like a best case scenario. It was going to happen. And now it's here. So I'm, I'm watching it and I'm popping some corn. I can't say I'm rooting for the Saudi government to succeed, but I, I am in a way rooting for the reckoning for the PGA. Maybe they'll come up with something, but they're going to have to move. They're going to have to move because this thing now is ahead of steam. It's going. And they're going to have a bunch of tournaments at Trump courses. And then this will finally start solidifying for people why this is happening. Um, another fun one. Washington Post had fired reporter Felicia Sanmez, who was ragging on her colleagues nonstop 24-7 on Twitter all week because of the retweet by Dave Weigel, who's a Washington Post reporter, who'd already been fired and rehired by the Washington Post years ago. But he was the guy who tweeted, every girl is bi, you have to figure out if it's polar or sexual. Um, Which we talked about with John Nolte earlier this week on the show, also on the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. And um, the uh, our take was Nolte's take that I agreed with him on. This tweet says more about the joke teller than the joke itself. Um, but she took this as an opportunity to just crush the Washington Post nonstop online, framing as a hostile work environment. Uh, but what was uh, both uh, uh, what was most delicious to me about this whole thing is that she'd sued the Washington Post last year for having a hostile work environment, and she still works there. So she's framing herself as some sort of a crusader uh, trying to reorganize the paper from within. The misogynist, anti-sexual assault victim was how she framed it in her lawsuit last year. And the Post stuck with her. They tried to be the noble people and um, try to make it work with her and not blow her out. And then finally, all week, she didn't spend working. She spent tweeting incessantly about how horrible Washington Post is. It took After days and days and days of what seemed like an endless saga, they finally fired her. Um, and it just was amazing to watch because you could tell this person needs, needs help. She needs a psychiatric care immediately. Because just a, to publicly trash your employer, and you can know they were in her ear and just saying, hey, please stop, Felicia, please stop, stop. Stop. Can we talk about this? Please stop. You know that's what's going on. And she's out there just tweeting, boom, boom, dozens, if not hundreds of tweets, all about a horrible Washington Post is. And then finally, days later, she got fired. And people were uh, having a good time online pointing out that this was, I think, from the movie Friday by Felicia is the quote. So, um, and now there's a chaos of the Washington Post newsroom for not being sufficiently woke. The, deba- the debate will be, will woke Washington Post, is it woke enough? Which is so fun for me. This is part of the fun of not having a woke newsroom is there's no slippery slope to see how woke we can get, which is what happens in normal newsrooms these days. It all is about uh, who a race to the woke to the wokest. Triple checking my notes here. I have checked them and yes. Um, oh, 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 one more. Chinese social media personality has vanished after displaying a tank cake on the Tiananmen Square anniversary. Chinese social media influencer Li Jiaqi, known as Lipstick King because he once managed to sell 15,000 units of lipstick in five minutes during a live stream, was evidently disappeared by the tyrannical Chinese regime. John Hayward writes for it to Breitbart. When he pointed out, when he pointed his webcam at a cake that looked like a tank, 
one day before the 33rd anniversary of the Tiananmen Square massacre, which was earlier this week. Just a, a fun one. I want to get a hot take from all the NBC golf, anal- uh, golf analysts on uh, why this is acceptable. Because remember, the China goes back and forth year after year whether or not they're going to acknowledge the Tiananmen Square massacre or whether or not they're going to say it's, it is a good thing. They either choose to skip it or they say this is great. But here is a young person, young man, social media influencer, and um, put it, just a cake of a tank disappeared. I'm looking forward to the international outrage over this one. Like what we got for three years of Khashoggi talk. A guy who cozied up the Bin Laden family and got a lot of uh, his uh, success by having a deep access to the Bin Ladens. And was portrayed as the greatest hero in the history of mankind, Jamal Khashoggi. Um, so that was something we're still talking about when the Saudi Arabian government uh, cut up Khashoggi with the bone saw, which they never should have done. Of course not. It's absolutely horrific and inexcusable. But we are ignoring that China disappears people like they did with Jack Ma. Remember they disappeared Jack Ma, the richest man in the country? Who humorously challenged um, Lee at one point to a contest so you could sell more lipstick, by the way. So this is part of the Jack Ma orbit. Remember, Jack Ma, richest person in China, disappeared by the Chinese government. And it's kind of sort of come back, basically been pushed out of his own company that he built. And he's a communist guy. He just isn't sufficiently communist. And don't think they can't come here. Absolutely it can. Congresswoman Elise Stefanik is someone who has made a little bit of a shift in her public persona, which I really admire that she's done a great job, I think, of courting anti-establishment conservative media of late. And I I think it's a great effort. And so when she wants to come on the show, uh, we invite her on. I certainly don't agree with her on everything. Uh, Last time she was on, I asked her about the uh, Ukraine funding, which I didn't understand how we can support that while trying to call for fiscal responsibility. Um, But this time, I think there's a lot of agreement because she does seem to see pretty clearly what the big problems are facing Biden's America and how we're wasting a lot of time doing stuff like the January the 6th hearing, but uh, still compelled to react to it as I was. So uh, it's a good interview and let's hear it. Congresswoman, thanks again for joining me. Uh, I want to get your reactions to the January the 6th hearings yesterday. Did you watch them? Did you have any major takeaways? Did you see any new evidence that compelled you to change any viewpoints you might have? No, I believe it was a political circus, which is what I anticipated. But the Democrats really are shameless. The fact that they chose uh, prime time, 8 p.m., to host this hearing. Typical congressional hearings are during the work hours at 10 a.m. In addition, they hired the former president of ABC News, who also covered up for Jeff Epstein. This was taxpayer-funded, hired as a producer for this um, partisan witch hunt committee with hand-picked members by Nancy Pelosi. And what really struck me, I mean, I've been in, in high-profile hearings before with particularly impeachment, uh, part, uh, the Russia hoax, is that even in the basement bunker with Adam Schiff, you still had Republicans who were able to cross-examine the witnesses. You still right. had Republican members who were able to look at all of the evidence. There is none of that in this. You're seeing selectively edited and cherry-picked evidence. You saw that last night with um, – 
edited video footage. You saw that with edited tweets, with edited testimony. Uh, Jason Miller came out and said they did not provide the whole context. But yet there's no Republican-appointed members to ask those important questions. So I think the American people are smart. I think they see right through this. This is the Democrats' attempt to distract from all these crises that are impacting people day to day, such as inflation, the border crisis, the crime crisis across America, the baby formula shortage. Uh, I've got two takes on this, and I think, of course, I agree with your assessment. I think my audience does, too. I I don't think necessarily, though, this was designed for for this audience. I think this was designed for two groups of people. Uh, The first group are the people who don't like the baby formula shortage, and they don't like where the economy's at, but they're very exhausted by Donald Trump. And just to be reminded that this is the sort of chaos that seems to follow Trump where he is, uh, it seems like that that was the goal to remind people of that. And it's almost more of a 2024 strategy than a 2022 strategy, just to remind people that Trump was a very divisive person. Even if you like Trump, as, as I do and love Trump, as so many others do, uh, it, it's still I think that's kind of where they're at. And, and the other group, and this is really more where I want your take on it is to divide a wedge uh, between people in Trump world, to try to pit people in Trump world against each other. And this is what I was kind of surprised by. It seemed like this was a strategy to get people fighting amongst themselves who were loyal to Donald Trump or have previously been loyal to him. Well, that's the strategy the media and Democrats have pursued for years now at this point. And I will tell you that while it may be a lot of coverage in the Beltway, in Washington, D.C., among media elites, the American people don't really care when they can't afford their grocery bills, when they can't afford to fill up their car with gas, because the price of gas has doubled when we potentially are facing food shortages because of the challenges uh, with failed national security policy around the world and what's happening in Ukraine, which is because of Joe Biden's weakness on the global stage, I believe, uh, but also, again, because of those increased costs. So, uh, I, you know, as much as Democrats and the mainstream media may desperately try, uh, I still think that the American people want a focus and, gosh, they want a primetime hearing on inflation. They want a primetime hearing on why are gas prices so high and how do we lower them? The Democrats are never going to give them that. So this is a distraction. And, yes, they are trying to divide members of Trump world. But even, you know, those that testified with video are saying that the videos are selectively edited and cherry picked and not provided with the full context. Yeah, and I do think that the that's the design is they want us to talk about that, and that gives it more uh, more juice to the news cycle talking about the selective editing, which was obvious and and it clearly done in designed to pro- to provoke and irritate folks like you and me. Um, but I want to ask about the premise of having these primetime hearings, which of course is egregiously propagandistic, propagandistic and political. Uh, but I, I'm actually have maybe contrary take here that I think it's also clever in a way. And I, I would encourage you guys when you guys take power, no doubt next year to do stuff like this, to get attention to your key issues by using theatrics. And this is something where the Democrats are much better than the Republicans traditionally on this. Uh, evaluate that premise. And do you think that there's anything to that? Well, certainly Nancy Pelosi has changed the institution of Congress and has shredded all precedent. And, you know, we have seen the subpoenaing of members, which uh, I believe is illegitimate and unconstitutional. We have seen that she has stripped members of committees. Uh, But when Republicans take over, Adam Schiff is not going to sit on the House Intelligence Committee. There have these precedents have been set. uh, And it's going to be important for Republicans, again, to focus on the issues that matter to the American people, but hold the Democrats and Joe Biden accountable 
for their absolutely failed government, failed leadership. So I think tough oversight is going to be really important. I think not hesitating when it comes to subpoenaing uh, and not hesitating when it comes to going after, for example, Hunter Biden, who is extremely close being the president's adult son with business ties to the president of the United States. So we intend to have strong leadership. We are already preparing very robust oversight and accountability agenda when we work to earn back the House. But our laser focus has to, and this is what we're committing to the American people, has to be on the issues and the crises that are impacting people's day-to-day. Again, reining in the spending that has caused inflation under this administration, making sure that we secure the border. Inflation just hit another 40-year high with consumer prices surging 8.6% is breaking news. So, um, you know, that list is long and we intend to bring as much focus uh, as it as possible. The other thing that I think Republicans need to do is Democrats are very obsessed with the media coverage in Washington, D.C. and the media elites. This country is a big country and voters across the country aren't tuning into the media elites because there's such a historically low distrust in media. We need to get out and around America, Main Street America, and highlight these issues. Yeah, and they're not talking about these hearings. There's no doubt about that. Uh, Elise Stefanik is on with me, Congresswoman from New York. Uh, and uh, thank you for noting the inflation numbers. Huge inflation news just breaking 10 minutes ago. And we'll have all that for you, Breitbart.com, uh, throughout the day. And I'm sure uh, my colleagues on the station will uh, cover that in greater detail. Um, but I want to ask you about some other stuff that's going on. In particular, this apparent attempted assassination of Justice Kavanaugh. Uh, Are any of your colleagues in the Congress, particularly Senator Schumer, accountable for any of this? Because they have had rhetoric in the past, seems to have incited violence. And we know full well if the uh, shoe was on the other foot, if any of your colleagues had said some of the things that Schumer had said, and there was an attempt on the life of a Democrat Supreme Court justice, we'd never stop hearing about it. Uh, What is your take here? My take is that Senator Schumer, Democrats, and the President of the United States and his White House fanned these flames. They encouraged protesters outside of the Supreme Court justices' homes. Uh, you have a very politicized Speaker of the House and Nancy Pelosi who's refusing to take up the Senate bill, which would provide security, increased security for Supreme Court justices. She is actually blocking that clean bill negotiated by the Senate from coming to the floor. And what was her comment? She said, oh, they'll be safe over the weekend. This is just days after a vicious, violent criminal attempt on Kavanaugh's life. And it's not just, you know, Justice Kavanaugh, but he is the father of two young kids. And, you know, he has a family. And the fact that uh, Democrats, again, fueled these flames, encouraged uh, protests outside and an attempt to influence justices as they're putting out their decisions on these cases. First of all, that's illegal. So it's breaking the law. But secondly, it's about pressuring the court and submitting to the will of the left. The Supreme Court must maintain its judicial independence. It must maintain, uh, again, that separation from the politicization that we see day to day in electoral office and political campaigns. On one hand, the Democrats are obsessed with focusing on January 6th, but when it comes to threats on the Supreme Court justice's life, uh, they're not taking up the bill in the House, which would pass if she brought it to the floor. And why do you think she's not doing this? Because it just seems like the biggest no brainer of anything we've discussed over the last year and a half. It it is. I don't even understand the objection. I believe that they want to protect the leaker. 
and the leaker uh. broke precedent. I believe what the leak, well, I've actually co-sponsored legislation that that is a crime to leak documents from the Supreme Court. And we need to pass that because this is irreparably damaging the court. Uh, the chief justice spoke out on this as well as other justices about how truly damaging this is to the institution. So they're more concerned about the leaker uh, rather than the Supreme Court justices. And we do not want to be in a situation where anybody faces any political violence, where any type of uh, political violence is tolerated or encouraged. But make no mistake, Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, and the White House encouraged protests and activism to try to pressure the court. Uh, so Nancy Pelosi, she should bring up the bill negotiated by the Senate, which is a clean protection in terms of e- increasing security for the justices. So one thing that you did uh, recently on one of our Saturday broadcasts with Matt Boyle is you helped walk us through the Republicans' plan for fight back because uh, we're in agreement on what the true crises are facing this country. And it, it seems like the concern with a lot of our audience here is whether or not the Republicans who do not have a great track record on this stuff have the playbook to fight back and to hold the people accountable who are, first of all, getting stuff wrong, uh, i.e. the Biden energy policy, the indulgence of Hunter Biden, et cetera, the open borders, um, but also not just they're, they're getting stuff wrong, that there's no accountability, that people seem to fail upwards, they keep their jobs, no one uh, even seems to get roughed up publicly, figuratively speaking. What is the plan here? The plan is to make sure that we have robust oversight over every single agency, every single cabinet secretary, every White House official, uh, that we are not hesitant when it comes to subpoenas, that we are not sort of letting the Democrats drag out the timeline, which they have done in the past. And uh, Republicans need to be very, very aggressive. Look, I've learned uh, in the bowels of the Capitol in the SCIF uh, with Adam Schiff conducting those basement bunker intelligence committee uh, hearings for the impeachment uh, Russia hoax part one, that we need to be very tough when it comes to holding them accountable. And transparency is really important. I, in my office, have a long list of projects when it comes to oversight, ranging from getting all the information regarding the illegal flights of migrants into New York State, uh, flown in the dead of night, which the Department of Homeland Security has referred to, refused to respond to, to, you know, going after some of the abuse that exists within the Department of Justice and the FBI, uh, both broadly when it comes to the FISA process, for example, which we uh, shine a spotlight on, on among the House Republicans on the Intelligence Committee, but also very specific district issues that came up in my district with FBI informants being uh, part of crimes that led to the loss of life. So I have a long list. I'm preparing that. We're encouraging all of our members to prepare that and work with the committees to make sure that we are ready on day one. In addition to that oversight agenda, having a legislative agenda, which is really, really important, already working on border security bills uh, that have the support strongly of all the Republican conference, making sure that we have bills when it comes to being tough on China and holding China accountable, actually looking, at, looking into the origin of COVID. Yeah, amen on that and one, too. Uh, yeah, sure. And and one of the things that I would add to the list is that we're watching them broke last night is uh, Alejandro Mayorkas extending covert migration pipelines to cities throughout the country. And we know that Joe Biden is working with foreign governments to create uh, m- m- uh, more additional migration beyond what we already have. And this is something that should you know, we could do three hours a day on this one topic. And yet it you know, it barely gets a mention, even for me at Breitbart, which is why what's such a concern is that sometimes the biggest stuff in the country just gets overwhelmed by other nonsense. 
We have to do a lot. We have to do a lot simultaneously. Uh, this is we need to make sure that Congress is able to do everything. So having the right teams in place, the right members on the right committees are going to be really important. And all these crises are happening at the same time. And I, I think back to my first press conference as House Republican Conference chair, I laid out all these crises and really um, laid out our overall crisis messaging strategy. And the New York Times uh, made fun of it and said, well, there are so many crises, the American people aren't going to be able to pay attention to all of them. Well, they are paying attention because they're all impacting them. So we will have a plan in each of these areas and then pursue it like a laser and really tune out the media. I've learned that in in this job just because I've taken tremendous hits from the leftist media uh, and their allies in Hollywood. You have to focus on the task at hand. And remember that you don't work for the media. You don't work for the editorial boards. You work for your constituents who vote and who you represent. Uh, I want to get your take also, this will be the last one for today, Congresswoman Elise Stefanik, again, Republican from New York. I, I want to get your take on some of the wokeification of our corporations. It seems like the culture wars now are not as much being fought in Hollywood as they are in the corporate boardrooms. Um, and, you know, looking at a, a pretty unbelievable public ouster of a top Disney executive. Uh, it's a, you've a, at least one young child, forgive me if you've more, uh, what are your thoughts on the fact that it seems like the corporate America is trying to dictate values to the American families right now? I think this is backfiring. I mean, look at what's happening to Netflix and the fact that uh, they're having a real impact on their stock price, for example, uh, as they've, um, you know, as there's been pressure from some of their employees to maintain this woke far left identity. Look at the backlash to Disney uh, in terms of their approval ratings among their consumers. At the end of the day, these are companies. They are not social justice entities. Uh, They are not political entities. And it's not just corporate America. You're seeing the wokeification of of everything, of higher education in our colleges and universities, but also also K through 12 schools. You even see it in childcare centers in terms of pushing social justice, uh, in terms of the left vision of what political activism should be. So I'm deeply concerned about that. Uh, I think that's why you're seeing some real shifts generationally, for example, an increase in homeschooling. Uh, you're also sure. seeing people being very, uh, very thoughtful about where they're purchasing, whether it's, you know, their entertainment, you're seeing a decline in terms of Disney. Uh, and I grew up, I mean, I loved Disney when I grew up. It was sort of the heyday of Disney. And, and yep. their job is not to be political warriors. Or look at, for example, MLB and the outcry regarding the Georgia election reforms, which, by the way, more people voted in Georgia post those election reforms than before. So that Good whole call. media uh, hurricane was absolutely wrong, which we've seen before. You and I know that. So uh, we need people need to stand up and people need to hold these companies accountable with their wallets and with their pocketbooks. And I think they are. Thanks, Congresswoman. Really appreciate it. I hope you come back soon. Thank you. all for today's show. Thanks a lot to producers Haley and Greg Eben, and as always you, the Breitbart News audience, who tells 10,000 friends and family members about what we do. Subscribe to the podcast, leave a five-star review, all that good stuff. Very helpful. You can go to alexmarlow.com for all of my socials as well. Breaking the news, more relevant than ever. If you've not read it, highly recommend it. And it's a great audiobook. It's a performance. So that is something I'm very proud of, and I hope you all pick it up. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. I'm in love.